Welcome to Smart Healthcare Safety from ECRI, the most trusted voice in healthcare, committed to advancing effective, evidence-based care. I'm your host, Paul Anderson, and over the past 12 years, I've overseen our patient safety, risk, and quality membership programs here at ECRI. Tens of thousands of healthcare leaders rely on us as an independent, trusted authority to improve the safety, quality, and cost-effectiveness of care across all healthcare settings worldwide. You can learn more about our unique capabilities to improve outcomes at www.ecri.org. We're recording this podcast from our respective home offices as we practice and encourage all of you to practice good social distancing to help limit the spread of COVID. Today, we have a special episode produced with our colleagues in ECRI's Partnership for Health IT Patient Safety. The partnership is working with EHRA, to explore how health IT can help integrate behavioral health and primary care. In that first discussion, we spoke about how many Americans with behavioral health conditions receive their behavioral care from their primary care providers. In fact, we estimate that one in five primary care visits includes behavioral health indications. On top of that, nearly 30% of adults with chronic disease have behavioral health needs as well. And yet, only one third of patients with behavioral health conditions report receiving the care they need. Now that the partnership work group has completed its work, we'll look at what it's learned about how technology can facilitate this integration, how we can use health IT to increase access to care, and whether health IT can help clinicians from various disciplines speak with one another and share information to facilitate safe, effective, quality care. To get us started, I'll ask our guests to introduce themselves. Hi, my name's David Butchaferro. I'm with Foothold Technology. We're Behavioral Health EHR. Um, this is a very special topic to me. Prior to joining the Foothold Technology, I worked for 30 years at the New York State Office of Mental Health. So I saw these issues that arise when there's a lack of integration of primary care and behavioral health information and the difficulty that creates in really providing a proper care setting for those individuals. I'm also the vice chair of the Electronic Health Record Association. I am the co-chair of the patient safety work group of the EHRA, and I am the co-chair of the opioid task force of the EHRA as well. And I'm looking forward to our chat this morning. Hello, my name is Hans Buitendijk. Uh, I'm chair of the EHRA Association um, and also uh, the chair of the Standards and Interoperability uh, Workgroup. Um, I am uh, participating in a variety of different uh, uh, activities uh, in the industry on behalf of Cerner Corporation, where I focus on interoperability. Uh, and my main focus there is helping ensure that, uh, that industry initiatives, standards, regulations, around and focusing on interoperability uh, are progressing and as a result that we have the ability uh, to share information across the variety of systems within uh, sites but uh, particularly in this context also around and across uh, stakeholders healthcare organizations otherwise to really ensure that the patient uh, uh, the consumer uh, the person the caregiver has access to the information that's relevant to them or the person that they care for David, let, I want to start with you, if I can. Can you remind us what the focus uh, of the workgroup has been and the different models of integration that the workgroup considered? Yeah, thank you, Paul. We 
we took a pretty exhaustive approach at trying to look at an area in which we would really be able to make an impact with the work that both organizations do. And as you know, in our prior conversation, we settled on the integration of behavioral health and primary care. When we looked at that general area, we found that no one solution fit all. Um, and as a result of that, we really found that there were five basic levels of integration or collaboration that were out there or that were working. One of them was this really minimal collaboration where the systems are totally separate. They have uh, separate facilities and there's difficulty in communicating that way because there's very little understanding of the culture of each other's business and, and how they operate. And so very often you may or may not even get a piece of paper shared between one or the other groups. There's a little bit higher level of collaboration that takes place as well, where even though there's separate systems and separate facilities, there is some periodic conversation that takes place between a primary care practitioner and a behavioral health staff member. And in those cases, even though there's not that great understanding of what each other does, there's at least some level of communication. When we really start to get into models that can make an impact, we start really with this basic collaborative model where again, the systems are separate and the facilities are gonna be separate, but there is regular, regular communication. Occasionally that communication could even be face-to-face. -face. In that case, there's really an appreciation of what the other individual is trying to do and a fairly decent sense of what the general larger picture of that individual's care is. In these cases, mental health starts to have more of an impact and influence on the care of that individual. The next um, model that we talk about is really a really close collaboration or a model of partial integration. There's some shared systems between the two. It, it may be something to do with information exchange. It may be using similar um, systems. There's usually people are located in the same facility at this point. That's not always the case. There's normally some face-to-face -face communication that takes place. There is a basic appreciation though of what the other's trying to do and it goes a little bit beyond just an appreciation and really an expectation that together people are going to try to work on the issues that, of that for that individual. We also, in this kind of a model, have a lot more collaboration and routines built into the discussion. We also begin to really influence that sharing. We do so by either having regularly scheduled meetings together, or there may be an exchange of information that takes place, or there may start to be required screening forms that take place in the primary care setting where they're starting to identify behavioral health issues and they have ready access to behavioral health services. In the final sort of the highest level, if you would call it that, we really have a, a full integration of care where there's really shared systems and facilities in a really seamless web of information and care for that individual. 
people normally have the exact same expectations. So the care that's being given in the primary care setting, the behavioral health care practitioner would really understand what each other are trying to do. They, they understand what each other's roles usually are. There's very strong collaboration. Nothing happens in one setting without the other one at least being told about it. And there's really a very conscious effort, whether it be through technology um, or not, of sharing information. I do want to just add, though, Paul, that none of these are like the way, the only way possible to go. Because of various settings, because of various situations, one or two of these models may be practiced in a particular area. And the reason why we really tried to focus on understanding these models is because we really wanted to see where technology could have its biggest impact to improve care in each of these different situations of how things are happening um, right now in the, in, in the healthcare world. And, and even just listening as you sort of describe those, those different uh, models, I'm betting that a lot of organizations exist somewhere in between on that continuum, that it's not sort of, I've got a five point scale and I'm gonna pick A, B, C, D, or E, that I've got, you know, somewhere in between and probably sliding back and forth depending on the situation. You're very correct. There is, as I did mention, there's really no particular model that can be incorporated easily across all settings. There's various reasons for that. It may be a lack of behavioral health specialties in a particular area and therefore having that full integration model where the practitioner is sitting in the same office as the primary care physician may not be a feasible or practical thing to happen. And so we, what we try to do, I think, as you said, Paul, was we try to find how we can accomplish that full integration, but doing so in a way that meets the needs of that population in that particular area at that particular time. And, you know, Hans, if I can bring you into the conversation here, uh, I'm, I'm sort of betting that just like those, those kind of situations that David described are not really static. Technology is not static. If we're looking for technology as a facilitator to some of this, you know, the technology keeps evolving. It gets updates. I just updated my phone operating system again. Um, but, but what are some basic health IT modalities that we're using to try to facilitate that integration between behavioral and primary care? So I think there's a, a couple of ways in which we can look at that. So at the, at the high level, uh, there is clearly one component of it, the EHR, the electronic health records. It's a, uh, it's a component that uh, focuses primarily on the documentation uh, of care, uh, uh, assists the uh, provider in managing uh, that care uh, individual across episodes, but in their practice, in their organization. Uh, so that means is that one aspect of that is going to be there are going to be multiple EHR uh, systems around because the primary care provider and the behavioral health and other settings that may uh, may come in play may not share the same uh, and, uh, EHR at that point in time. Uh, so I have one component that I need to figure out is that how do I connect those? Another part is that if, as uh, David is talking about, uh, behavioral health depends on the environment, the setting that they're in, there might be some other systems in play as well uh, around population health or otherwise that also have some data around it and that are typically not focusing on uh, documentation, 
but start to better understand uh, some of the uh, general characteristics of the population that may help uh, uh, to, uh, uh, to support uh, identification of or awareness of uh, context uh, for, for the patient. The third one that is really emerging uh, is the app. Um, um, it's a very generic term, but really we all uh, seem to be in, uh, implying with that is that it's what is on our cell phones. It's what we have at home on our laptops, computers, otherwise as individuals. And that's increasingly going to be a component as well, uh, because that means is that there's information that a, uh, the patient can pull together, uh, the consumer can pull together uh, uh, across a couple of different settings. So those are probably the three high level <clears throat> kind of uh, environments where, uh, where people uh, are interacting with to maintain data and manage data that is of interest to what they need to do. It's the provider perspective, the community perspective, it's the patient perspective. Uh, within that, uh, a second uh, layer, if you will, uh, uh, that we need to consider uh, is that uh, within each one of those, what are the key components that come into play here that we particularly want to focus on? Clearly, that's the documentation part. How do we document what's relevant to be documented, uh, et cetera? Second part is privacy tools. How can I manage uh, appropriately that based on the interactions, uh, the, the records that are in play, and particularly since I now I'm going to go across different organizations, how do I manage that uh, uh, that the uh, the data that can be shared is shared, the data that is uh, that cannot be shared is not shared, or is only limited shared with uh, uh, with the individuals that can see that. Uh, so privacy uh, uh, capabilities uh, are a second component around that. And the third one is uh, is obviously at that point in time I want to share information. Um, how do I do that? Um, how do I get uh, information from point A to point B so that the primary care provider with behavioral health and vice versa. Uh, that uh, that the data can actually be accessed, exchanged, uh, um, and therefore used within uh, within uh, the context of the next party that is uh, uh, interacting with the patient or the patient themselves. How do I uh, uh, provide the information to them from an EHR to an app or et cetera? So those are, the, I, I would say, is that for in this context, the, the main things that we probably want to look at uh, from a technology perspective, and that's changing. Uh, what we can do with EHRs today uh, what we could do with them uh, uh, 10 years ago, uh, the level of granularity that we can manage uh, things at, that changes. Um, the app uh, um, uh, environment has certainly shown that uh, there are new ways in which we can uh, uh, make data available um, uh, that, uh, that we have not been able to do before, that uh, um, the internet has enabled us uh, to introduce technologies to exchange data, or access data in ways that we have not done uh, before. Uh, decision support, uh, uh, there are tools emerging that are around. There's a variety and a host of tools that constantly is evolving that allow us to share data, to access data, to document data um, um, more efficiently, better, uh, can provide the user, whomever that might be, with better information about how they could use it, support capabilities, provide insights, otherwise uh, correlated with other information that they have. So there is a whole host of things that... Uh, uh, that uh, the technologies that are fundamentally uh, <clears throat> more open and sharing uh, using internet, that as a result of that, I now have a whole host of new uh, capabilities, functions, uh, opportunities that I can start to uh, enable. Would, would it be oversimplifying to say that, you know, sort of the, the attribute that we're looking for in all of these different technologies is we want to get the right information in front of the right person 
at the right time in a way that they can understand and act on it. I mean, that sort of seems like the upshot to me. Absolutely. It's uh, it's what is the, uh, you want to call them the five or seven rights, depending on how many rights mm-hmm. you're going to go to right patient, right time, right data, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It's uh, yes, that's what it's about. And that it's right sized. Um, so that it's the right amount, not overwhelming, mm. not too little, uh, that it is in a, uh, an op, uh, in a context or a presentation that makes it easier to understand what it is. Uh, so usability is another term that you start to hear more. That is not per se a technical capability, but it is a, what do you do with the data that I already have myself as within an EHR? And what do I do then in con- with that, the data that I receive from elsewhere that contributes to it as well. How do I uh, uh, pull that all together in a way that's meaningful to what, whomever the user is? Well, and you know, I think about that in terms of, you know, my role as a patient, <clears throat> right? Sometimes if I, uh, you know, I routine blood work and I get a test result back in my patient portal, for example, um, and by itself, it means exactly nothing to me. Um, but when I see a trend compared to the last time I had that result, now at least I have a comparator. Or when I see that this is the high and low value. So that kind of thing, right? It has to be meaningful and the right amount of information to the person who needs to do something with it. Correct. Um, Correct. My, my provider's gonna know my provider's gonna know differently than I am what to do with it. Yes, and that you understand that it's from a source that you trust. Um, right. so you can do uh, different things with different data. If you trust the data, you can incorporate it more tightly, perhaps, if it is less trusted, quote unquote, uh, you mm-hmm. have not dealt with the source with before, you're not sure uh, who has interpreted it, you may need to treat it a little bit differently. So there's all, there's all kinds of elements to that, uh, to then integrate that data set and do something useful with it. So, you know, one of the things that, that comes up here is, uh, you know, David was talking about different providers, you know, along that continuum of integration. One of the things he mentioned is that they're going to have different technologies available to them. So how much of it is the responsibility of the provider to know what their uh, peers and colleagues in other organizations, maybe even different you know, health networks and health systems, to know what their colleagues uh, can handle in terms of technology and, and how their colleagues want to exchange and receive information and how to make sure it's protected. So how much of it is on the provider, I guess, versus how much is on the... Um, uh, I'll say the technology creators to ensure that um, I guess we're getting towards that idea of interoperability. Uh, my take would be is that it's all the above. Uh, it, it is a team sport. If you want to have data integrated, <laughs> um, there is no two ways about it. Actually, there are two ways about it because there's two sides of the communication uh, equation there. So it is a two way street. Uh, it is multiple parties. It is the uh, uh, the community uh, of uh, of uh, uh, professionals, clinicians, patients, otherwise, uh, that need to come together and say, what is the data that we care about that needs to be shared? What really needs to be uh, uh, um, um, protected and held in privacy? And uh, therefore, it only can be shared with the original source. But what can be shared and what is it then? And then you can start to step your way through that. Um, and there's clearly a substantial role for, for the clinicians, for the providers to be part of that, because what's the data we're going to share? What kind of documentation formats, uh, uh, what kind of data content do we want to share? How much is that? What kind of vocabulary? Is there any kind of standards for the vocabulary that we want to use for encoding or for further support? Um, how much do we want to share uh, at some point in time, at the initial visit later on? How much do I want to make available or need to make available for a question versus what am I going to just push to you? 
So there are many questions that a uh, at the provider needs to just think about, regardless even of who they uh, are interacting with. Um, and uh, then they need to uh, understand with whom can I uh, uh, share it with. Clearly, as there are um, uh, uh, trends that uh, the, the, the data needs to be able to, uh, to follow the patient, that some of those questions generally are already known. I need to share with everybody. On the other hand, in this particular context, that may not always be uh, appropriate. And in general, that all, always comes back to patient consent. Are they willing to share? Um, what is their say about that? So in that, that sense is that that community needs to really uh, work together and understand when, when should I share, when shall I share, when may I not share, and when shall I not share. Um, so those are the kinds of questions they really need to be engaged with, uh, and that, that's a community, uh, and uh, um, we use the generic term industry-level professional societies that really need to come to an understanding of what that all is. Uh, the role of the technology is clearly in that, in supporting that ensuring and working with the parties where the technology can handle that or where we still are looking at technologies that are, yes, we like to have that and they're still a little bit further ahead. What's the realistic roadmap uh, from, uh, from where we are at to where we want to be? Can we support everything that is, uh, that is desired? Um, clearly, we have come a long way there and there's a lot more sharing we can do. There's a lot more standards that have evolved that whether the data is behavioral health focused or whether it is uh, um, um, emergency care focused or whether it's general uh, uh, care focused, there are uh, 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 consistencies and commonalities across all of those that, uh, that uh, the documentation, yeah, we have figured out how we can share that. But the very unique questions to, uh, to this setting, um, uh, we, uh, we need to work through because there are some variations in how much you can share in one environment and how much you can share in another. And how do we reconcile that? How do we ensure that that works? So I think it's a, it's a combination of both. It's not one or the other. It's everybody needs to uh, put their heads together and, uh, and, uh, and uh, work through that. We're making some good steps, but there's still some areas where we need to figure it out. I think I'd like to just add that for many, many years, behavioral health technology has really fallen behind that capability that the primary care settings have had you know, when meaningful use, for example, really started to make an impact on the primary care setting, the behavioral health care setting, for the most part, other than psychiatry, was somewhat left behind during that growth of information and electronic health records. And as Hans had said, the capabilities of both systems are really critical in being able to exchange the right information and share that information and it really goes beyond even the technical capacities but as Han said it goes into understanding what elements of data are critical to be shared and what kind of understanding each system would have of the the different information I think that even goes towards information that is shared with the individual as well you know as we talk about health literacy which is a you know, a really big term at this point in time, people understanding their their own health better and being able to make decisions. For the most part, that information has to be provided in a manner that is understandable. As you had said, looking at my lab reports, I don't really understand every number that's been thrown on there, but I do understand that if something is trending in the wrong, the wrong direction, that I need to do something about it, whether it be call my doctor, hopefully they may have already seen it and are calling me, but 
knowing the right information that needs to be exchanged is also critical and understanding the capabilities of each of those systems and how they both absorb information you know into their knowledge base but are also able to share information out is critical well and so let me think about uh, another piece of that puzzle right we talked about sort of the technology and its capability we talked about you know getting the information to the people in a way they can understand it um, which you know is not as purely a technological solution but there's another piece of that puzzle, David, which is the regulatory framework. Um, and, you know, that may be just as important, I think, as the, the technological framework. And I wonder if you could highlight maybe a couple of those key regulations that come into play here when we're talking about this you know, facilitation of communication and, and integration of care. Sure. I think some of them are also technology regulations that probably need attention as well. But I think the biggest regulation and the one that most people always talk about when you're talking about that exchange of information between behavioral health providers and primary care settings is 42 CFR Part 2. It's a regulation that was written well before HIPAA was even a dream. It really limited the level of information that a behavioral health primarily a, a substance use provider was able to share outside of their own organization. That even included to other behavioral health organizations, as a matter of fact, at the early stages. And that really did limit and started to really build the silo of care con conversation that we've had so much over the past 20 years as to why treatment is in such silos when you talk about behavioral health and primary care. Recently, attention has been given to 42 CFR part two. I would not say that we're all the way there and making the modifications that are necessary to share information, but that has really been the primary one. And it's not that that rule came out with the intention of trying to provide harm to the to the care of an individual. It was there really to protect the rights of someone. Back when this was written, there was a lot of belief and probably rightfully so, that this kind of information in the wrong hand would cost people a job, would cost them getting a bank loan, would cost them being able to go to colleges. And so this information was kept private. And but unfortunately was even kept private from those entities like a, a primary care physician that could help hmm. improve care of that individual. And then there's a number of different state rules that take place as well where information is not exchanged. We talked about this a long time ago when we were talking about the opioid crisis and that some states don't allow the exchange of opioid information to go from one state to another or to be shared beyond certain level of providers. And that lack of sharing really creates very hard decisions that have to be made at a primary care setting, or even during an emergency care setting, where they have to make decisions on the care of somebody without having the full picture. It, it's somewhat easy to say, well, there's things that are in place to allow that not to take place. But if you're a practitioner, and you're worried that the information you're about to share falls under a rule, you're going to be pretty hesitant to share that information because you want to make sure you're protecting the rights of that person. But I think there's things that we can do. 
to help make this work smoother and more efficiently. And I think the beginning of the changes to 42 CFR part two, as well as some of the changes that are being discussed around HIPAA and the exchange of information are really gonna make this, this integration of care more possible. So I think I know the answer to this question. I, th I think you sort of, you, you, you implied it, but I think we're being too nice to say it outright in your previous answer. But, um, you know, can we say overall that um, it, technology is making it harder or easier to apply these re regulations? Is there, a, is there a clean answer to that question? Um, I, I, I'll let Hans do the detailed part of this, but, but I think technology makes it significantly easier to do this because for, remember that like this information when it was exchanged often done was done by a fax machine or somebody carrying their information from a doctor to a doctor. Um, anybody could have picked up that fax. There was no way to really, you know, put disappearing ink on that fax that only a certain person <laughs> was able to read. Um, with technology, we're, we're really able to parse certain parts of information out of a record and share that information that's really necessary. We also can make sure that it's being shared through some kind of secure messaging system to the right people. And this is not necessarily going to a broad based spectrum of a, of a clinical practice in which maybe 40 or 50% of the people in that practice do not need to see this information, could even be 90% don't need to see it, but the 10% that do need to see it would have access. And to add to that, um, uh, I'd say is that technology has the ability to make it easier. Um, regulations have the ability to make it easier, and they're currently not making it easy. Um, but that's a balancing act between what do I need to uh, uh, to secure and, uh, and manage and, uh, and maintain privacy around. What level uh, are we collectively accepting and looking for that we do? And the technology in itself has the ability to keep track of that. So if you look at examples, there are standards out there on how to flag every individual data element with a characteristic of whether it can be shared or not. The question is not always about the technology. It's not about the regulation. It's about the in-between, the process that needs to maintain that. Um, how are we going to make that easy for the user uh, to, uh, uh, to flag at the appropriate level? How do I ensure that across states that that's interpreted the same way that it's done? So I think there are many questions uh, still that based on the inconsistencies across states makes it challenging. Um, uh, the inconsistency between uh, rules at a federal level makes it challenging. Um, and that that uh, contributes to that. But also is that how do we document that how do we manage that? And then as we are sharing that, uh, that around, that we fully do it. So uh, we have the ability to do it, but uh, uh, the time and effort that we really need to, uh, to have to align those different perspectives so that we clearly understand what is it exactly that we need to do in this context, which rules prevail, which rules uh, uh, don't, uh, et cetera. Um, that's, I think, the harder part than the individual technology, the standards that you need to have to do it, uh, and the... Uh, and the regulations is the practicality of how do you implement that? How do you roll it out? How do you make sure that uh, all the systems on all sides can now understand that so that 
um, um, that as I'm sharing information from one to the other, the receiving side or the asking side or the, uh, the responding side of that equation, that they know what to do and that they all know it roughly at the same time because otherwise data still flows around to places where it shouldn't or is not protected in the way it should. So, so I think the middle ground between the two, not the technology per se, not the regulations per se, although we have some uh, uh, consistency questions obviously there, it's making it happen in between is the challenge. Let's bring things back to the partnership work group then. How will the work that the work group did help to move towards a better facilitation of communication between the primary health and, and the, or the behavioral health and the primary care providers? Well, I, I think I would start by saying it's an awareness. I think we've started by just helping to make people aware of this issue. I think though we've gone well, well beyond that though. I think by first identifying and understanding that there's various ways that people are going to collaborate and levels of integration that people are going to achieve. I think what we tried to do as the work group was to really identify those areas that, that we would really be able to make an impact where developers could really look at and make, for the lack of a better term, improvements to our systems that allow us to do some of the things that we recognize are so critical. Um, the, these may be understanding various data elements. I think one of the things that the work group was able to do was to really look at the data elements that are necessary for both sides to understand the work that the other side is doing and be able to work on a system that would be able to exchange that information so that regardless of the environment you're working in, you'd have the capability of receiving and sending that kind of information. I think another area that the partnership has really been able to, to focus on is how do we measure this success and really trying to define various measures of success. You know, you alluded to this earlier, Paul, and Hans alluded to it as well. This is not going to be a single approach to trying to improve care between behavioral health and primary care settings. There's a lot of different factors that are going to come in place. It's not just regulatory. It's not just technology. It's also individual practitioner practice and, and learning to use that information and making decisions. It's patients understanding that this information is critical to be exchanged and not necessarily um, trying to avoid this information being shared with their primary care physician or with their, prim with their behavioral health practitioner. And I'm, I think that the work that we have done really lays out a framework so that if we're talking about certain kinds of settings, here's the technology that could be used. Here are the data elements that could be used. Here are how we can measure the success of how this is taking place. And we had some very, I believe we've come up with some very concrete things that each system could really work on and try to improve care from that perspective. You know, it, it, 
it seems that these issues, the issue around behavioral health and primary care come up at various times. Right now during the pandemic, there was a recognition that, geez, I'm starting to really see factors that I don't understand when I'm providing primary care to an individual that I need to have addressed. And the work that we're doing, I'm hoping really is going to allow for the opportunity for primary care settings to really have this integrated or collaborative method in place and be able to have this information exchange in a safe way to the, to the individual practitioner and in a safe way to that patient, which is most critical in what we're trying to do. Okay, so I guess I'd like to wrap up the way we always try to on, on the podcast, and that's, you know, to ask what's something that our listeners can do today, right now, to help improve the integration and information flow between behavioral health and primary care. And, and maybe we can consider that uh, from the perspectives of each kind of provider organization. So, Maybe Hans, I'll ask you to go first, and then David, maybe if you each have a, a different idea of what something folks can do. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And I think there's a couple of things that, uh, that one can look at. Um, one is that from a, a primary care provider perspective, um, having the tools, the capabilities in place, being integrated uh, with, uh, uh, with the means that are out there, the networks, the, uh, 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 the exchange method mechanisms that are out there, uh, uh, to communicate with other practices that have other systems. Uh, I think that's a good step that they can uh, can uh, look at because that will get them more ready. Uh, they already have some of those capabilities that they're looking at uh, uh, that one needs to look at already in play because of uh, other programs. But this is certainly a common thread with uh, 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 being ready, being uh, 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 able to, uh, to exchange that. Uh, and then from a process perspective uh, uh, and, uh, and uh, uh, connecting with the behavioral health practitioners in particular, are there already opportunities with that technology uh, to exchange information um, that, uh, that are in a very focused and targeted way uh, so that you can, the networks that are not necessarily quite able or some of the systems might not be quite able to uh, uh, to use uh, um, uh, automated means to uh, uh, distinguish who to share with or who not, but work with the other party directly to say, this is what we can share, and I have the electronic means to share it, and we'll, uh, we'll take advantage of that um, uh, to, uh, to directly interact with them. Um, and uh, then uh, flipping that to the other side, obviously, from a behavioral health uh, perspective, uh, I think David uh, um, probably has a few more uh, uh, aspects uh, uh, to look at there. How can they get ready uh, for that? What kind of systems and opportunities do they have available uh, to, to already do the foundational work uh, to get that in play and move forward with that? But David would be able to uh, provide a little bit more insight into that. But then last, last one that I want to offer is that um, how do you want to start to think about interacting and sharing information with your patients? And to what extent can they, through capabilities that have started to uh, uh, to evolve, perhaps not quite there, but uh, the patient certainly has the ability to exchange information, uh, can be uh, the intermediary to get information across. Can we already take advantage of that? That they can uh, can uh, can be part of that. Their uh, care uh, community can be part of that. What can be done there already? Uh, as well, so explore what's already there. It's not where we need to be uh, uh, to. Uh, 
make that more fluid and uh, and automated and everything else. And that uh, as a result, data flows uh, where where and where it can, where it needs to, uh, etc. But there are already a number of tools out there that can be used, could start to be used to build up that experience. So that's where I would be looking at on the, uh, to uh, uh, to see what I can do today. Yeah, I would I would even start with what Hans um, just said. I, I think the education of the patient is going to be critical. I think getting patients to understand that this information can be exchanged in a safe way, but also the critical importance of exchanging this information. I think for years, because we've lived in silos of care around primary care and other settings, there never was a clear understanding as to why that information might be helpful to the other group. From a behavioral health provider perspective, I think it's critical for behavioral health providers to understand that they are a huge part of population health and they are a huge part of trying to improve the health care of individuals. It's not just about them helping with the the behavioral health aspect of a person's life, but by providing and sharing information with primary care practitioners, they can help to make that individual's life spectacularly better. I mean, it's it's not just a little bit better. There's, you know, marked measures of improvement when that information is being exchanged with people, whether it be the right prescription being given, whether it be the right test being run. There's just numerous different ways that having that information in front of each other. I think one of the difficulties has been is that behavioral health providers somewhat lag behind in some cases around technology. And I don't want to make that a global statement because I know a number of of providers that have very sophisticated systems and that we work with all the time on exchanging information with primary care settings. But I don't think that's across the board in the behavioral health care setting and really getting your technology up to speed where that information can be exchanged. But also, as Hans said, understanding what that information means to you and what kind of information is critical in that exchange is going to be important. And I'm hoping that the work that the partnership has done is going to help in that way and to really help both sides of the care model in understanding what's important from each person's perspective, but most important, what's important from that practice patient's perspective so that the practitioners can ensure that they're providing the right care to that individual. All right. Well, David, Hans, thank you both so much for your time this morning. Welcome. Thank you. Learn more about how ECRI can help from our website at www.ecri.org, where you'll find past implementation guides, toolkits, and more produced by the Partnership for Health IT Patient Safety. You can find current news, blogs, and tools and resources from the EHRA website at www.ehra.org. Be sure to subscribe to Smart Healthcare Safety on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts to get our latest episodes. Visit us at ecri.org slash podcasts, where you can find our earlier conversation on the role of health IT in integrating behavioral health and primary care. We welcome your feedback. You can email us at ecri-podcasts at ecri.org.